My name is Pat Nan and I will be looking at uh, the content of the autumn statement that Jeremy Hunt delivered to us on the 17th of November. This, of course, was the third fiscal statement in as many months that the government have presented, starting with the mini budget in September Then in October, a reversal of many of the measures in the mini budget. And now we have the autumn statement. We've moved from a blue book, the growth plan that was presented to us uh, in the mini budget, to a green book yesterday for the autumn statement. So hopefully we'll be back again to a red book with the budget or the spring statement in the spring because that's the first area I'd like to comment on, the fact that we are going to clearly have two finance bills. First of all, there will be an autumn finance bill, although we do not know yet uh, the date that that will be uh, published on. No doubt by the time some of you actually listen to this, it may well have been published or even uh, the announcement of when it will be published. There is also clearly going to be a spring finance bill because some of the measures are being deferred and included in that finance bill. So that's the paperwork out of the way. Now let's have a look at the rumour mill or the speculation that preceded the autumn statement. What was true and what was not, right? So first of all, starting with, if you like, income tax, national insurance and capital gains tax rate increases. So there was a lot of speculation prior to the autumn statement that the Chancellor might increase capital gains tax rates. Where has that come from, do you think? Well, it's come from the fact that a little while ago, the Office of Tax Simplification Uh, in its recommendations on looking at capital gains tax, did recommend a consideration of the alignment of income tax and capital gains. They did that for the very reason that having such a wide gap between income tax and capital gains tax rates can lead to distortive behaviour, particularly in the world of the owner-managed business. It encourages people maybe to retain their profits rather than extract them to turn them eventually into capital disposals. Unfortunately, that can get people into hot water, particularly when they then try to undertake arrangements or transactions to achieve a capital transaction result and fall in breach of anti-avoidance legislation that the revenue have. And of course, the revenue are only too happy to turn it into an income tax transaction. So the difference between income tax and capital gains is certainly an area uh, that, um, as I said, can lead to these sorts of distortive behaviour decisions. But was there any increase in capital gains tax in the autumn statement? And the simple answer is no. There were also suggestions that the dividend rate might increase or certainly the additional rate for um, those taxpayers who currently 
pay 45% or 39.35% on their dividends. Again, there were no such increases. And the third area that they rumoured might increase was employer national insurance. So having just had a reduction in employer national insurance, removing the effect of the health and social care levy, there were suggestions that that 1.25% increase might be reinstated for the employer. And again, that has not occurred. There are also a number of speculative points in relation to what I would call high net worth individuals. So suggestions that he might change the non-domicile resident status rule. Meaning, of course, at the moment, if you are resident for 15 out of the previous 20 years, you become a UK deemed domicile. And that means, of course, you move from a remittance basis to a worldwide basis of taxation. There were suggestions that this period of time might be reduced, thus capturing more individuals under UK deemed domicile status. But no, that has not happened. There was also a suggestion that foreign million or billionaires who have posh homes in the UK might be subject to a special tax. That did not appear. What was quite amazing to me, though, that one area did not feature at all in the autumn statement, nor did it actually feature really not any of any significance in the speculation beforehand. And that was pension tax savings. To me, this is an area where, of course, the Chancellor could make a big uh, saving for the Exchequer by either removing or reducing the tax relief, because additional rate taxpayers can actually get 45% tax relief on their pension contributions or by maybe uh, reducing the annual allowance. Currently, £40,000 of gross pension contributions equivalent can be made by each individual um, as far as the pension tax savings rules are concerned. But no, there was absolutely no mention of any changes whatsoever to pension tax savings in the autumn statement. Not even in terms of the rumour mill, the idea that the frozen lifetime allowance, the final pot of money that you can effectively um, take 25% of tax-free and then the rest um, is subject to normal um, uh, tax rates. But if you go above your lifetime allowance, then of course you get extra charges. So that has been frozen, as with many other allowances, until 5th of April 26. And there was a suggestion that that might be further extended by two years. But there was no mention of that. So enough of what he didn't mention. And let's get on to some aspects that he did talk about. So there were some changes, a significant change, some people might say, as far as additional rate taxpayers is concerned. Not in increasing the rates, as I've already indicated, but by reducing the level above which you start to pay additional rate tax. 
And that next tax year is going to be reduced from £150,000 to £125,140. Now, some of you may be thinking, that's a rather strange number. But it actually uh, makes sense in some ways. When your income reaches £100,000, anything above that, you start to have tapered away your personal allowance. In fact, for every £2 excess income, you lose a pound of your personal allowance. So the cutoff point when your personal allowance is zero because of the level of your income is in fact 125,140. So next year, anything above that rate will be at 45%, or of course, if it's dividends, at 39.35%. Now that will apply in terms of the limit and the rates that I've uh, talked about there, certainly across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. However, as you know, both the Welsh and the Scots have devolved powers to make some adjustments to their tax rates on non-savings income and their tax bans. And we don't yet know what the position will be for Scotland. But those changes, of course, whatever they may be, do only affect non-savings income. So the information I've given to you does apply in Scotland as far as savings and dividends are concerned and any additional information, in fact, that I'm going to go through with you. So that's something to think about, about your clients that are additional rate taxpayers. If they are director shareholders of owner-managed business companies and most of their income comes from that company and extraction from that company, then this is really driving people towards retaining more cash in the company. As I said, it actually encourages distortive behaviour. So retention of cash because people won't want to take out the income because they'll be subject to more tax. But retaining cash in the company creates longer term problems particularly as it stands under the rules currently for inheritance tax business property relief. If we've got lots of surplus cash in the company, then that is that element is disqualified for business property relief. So those clients who are not currently taking advantage of their pensions tax savings to the limit, i.e. using their full £40,000, provided it, of course, does get retained for next tax year, they may well want to start using more of their pension savings limit in order to offset this reduction in the additional rate threshold. But I'm a little bit concerned, as I've said, that uh, what we might find is that in the spring statement, that we actually have some changes to the tax relief on pensions. So on that score, we'll have to wait and see. Elsewhere, it's been nicknamed the big freeze, this autumn statement. We already had certain personal allowances and reliefs uh, frozen until the 5th of April 26. 
But what we're now seeing is that many of those allowances and reliefs are now frozen until uh, April 2028. That includes key allowances like the personal allowance. It includes a basic rate band. And as these days, the national insurance position is harmonised with those two levels, what that means is the lower limit for earnings, uh, or rather, I should say, not the lower limit for earnings, but the primary threshold, that would be more correct. The primary threshold before you start to pay national insurance for employees or the lower profits limit for the self-employed before they start to pay no national insurance, of course, will also be frozen at the 12570, the equivalent to the personal allowance. And similarly, the upper earnings limit or the upper profits limit is aligned with the aggregate of the personal allowance and the basic rate band limit at 50,270. So um, those two levels are also frozen until the 5th of April 2028. The problem with freezing the personal allowance and the basic rate band is that it means as individuals' profits rise, as their wage levels rise, which they undoubtedly will do due to inflation, That actually brings more and more individuals into the higher rate tax net. And it's estimated that the freezing here will actually mean about three million more workers will over the next few years go into the higher rate, the 40 percent tax bracket. But there were more changes. Right. So first of all, um, the dividend allowance has been cut. So that dividend allowance, which has been for the last few years at the rate of £2,000, has now been cut by half for next year and then half again for the year after. And similarly, actually, as we're talking about cuts, the capital gains tax annual exempt amount has been cut. So whilst there is no increase in the capital gains tax rates, there is a cut in the annual exempt amount. But going back to the frozen amounts, it just seemed appropriate to mention the dividend allowance whilst I was on income. But moving for a moment to inheritance tax. Uh, The nil rate band, in fact, has been frozen since the April 2009. And that is now also going to be continue to be frozen, i.e. the extension, until April 28. So that will be 19 years with the same nil rate band. So clearly, nearly two decades of a fixed nil rate band is meaning that more and more individuals on death are coming into the scope of inheritance tax. The residence nil rate band, which was introduced to assist with reducing inheritance tax on individuals' main residence, is also frozen until April 28, and that is at £175,000. So lots of things frozen, and a new element has been added into that framework. 
And that is the employer national insurance secondary threshold. So that for 22-23 has come in at 9,100. Sometimes people refer to this, I've heard it referred to over the years as the magic number. What do they mean by that? Um, for those owner-managed business companies that extract minimum salary and then the rest as dividends, a traditional extraction of profits route, then um, the 9,100 would be the minimum salary that many OMB company directors would take before then leaving it up to dividends. Well, that rate is now going to be frozen and it will be frozen along with everything else until 5th of April, 2028. Now, this is a bit of a problem because anything above that, of course, is going to create national insurance for the owner-managed business shareholder director. And the whole point of taking a salary at that level is normally to avoid national insurance. Unfortunately, with the increase in the corporation tax rates as well next year, all OMB business clients need to revisit their extraction strategies, not just additional rate taxpayers, but even basic rate taxpayers may well need to think about taking out more salary, on which, of course, they'll obtain corporation tax relief, but there will be a national insurance cost and less dividends because the dividend rate, of course, is not being reduced. It is staying at that increased amount that we've had this year, the extra 1.25%. So let's move it away from income tax and capital gains and national insurance, the direct taxes for a moment, to looking at the lower paid and the more vulnerable members of uh, society. There are big increases as in 10.1% um, increases in many instances which sounds huge, but of course, all it is doing is reflecting inflation. So in the 12 months to last September, I September 22, that is the uh, inflation rate that is used normally to determine increases in benefits, etc. And that was 10.1%. So not everything has gone up in line with that. The national living wage hasn't has gone up by in fact 9.7% to a rate of 10.42 starting next April. And the various national minimum wage rates have also been increased by similar percentages. But I'm not going to go through all those numbers with you. You can obviously clearly look those up. But that sort of trend has uh, then gone throughout other aspects of state benefits. So the state pension, various benefits and the benefits cap are all being uprated by the 10.1%. There are also going to be some additional cost of living payments for the most vulnerable households. Let's now have a look at employment. Not really a lot was said about employment in the autumn statement. However, they have announced what the car benefits will be on company cars until 2028. This is quite normal. Um, it's quite normal to give information about company car benefits 
for several years in advance so that people can plan um, in terms of whether they're going to renew their company car or not, as the case may be. Uh, generally speaking, there are 1% increases across the, um, the range of company cars, including the electric and the low emission cars, as well as what I'll call normal cars. But there are some capping effects in place so that people are still encouraged to go down the electric and the low emission route over the next few years. There will also be uh, increases to van and fuel benefits, fuel benefits, of course, being both cars and vans. And those are going to be, in fact, uplifted by that 10.1% increase that I've advised you about. So turning to business tax. Business tax, I suppose two key main topics spring to mind that will be of interest to most of your clients. Capital allowances, um, research and development, uh, because we already know about the corporation tax increase, that that's going ahead. So those are probably the two most important areas. Uh, nothing additional was announced about capital allowances. So they confirmed the annual investment allowance of £1 million. There was a useful extension announced of the electric charge points first year allowance. So that's 100%. And that's going to continue until um, um, end of March, end of financial year 25. So what this means is for your corporate clients is that there is an end to the super deduction on the 31st of March 23. Um, the annual investment allowance of 1 million then effectively takes over or rather continues to be at that level on a permanent basis. And according to HMRC, in fact, setting that annual investment allowance at 1 million actually means that 90% plus of businesses get full expensing. Research and development has been a, a very topical issue in recent times. The main reason behind that is because the revenue are now starting to realise that there has been uh, quite a lot of error and fraud, particularly in relation to the small, medium-sized enterprise scheme. That's the one where, as well as getting your normal 100% profit and loss deduction for relevant expenditure, you get an additional 130%. Well, that is the current position. But in the autumn statement, it flagged up the fact that the generosity of the SME scheme means that it is a target for fraud. And that there is, of course, another R&D scheme known as the R&D expenditure credit, which large companies use, for example, but is available for all sizes of companies. That HMRC consider is better value. And so the government has decided that it's going to rebalance though these reliefs. So what is actually happening and when? It will be happening for expenditure from next April, so from 1st of April next year. 
And the research and development expenditure credit is going to be increased from its current 13% to 20%. So that's good news. Now the bad news. The SME additional deduction, which of course is currently 130%, is being reduced to 86%. What that also means is there's a knock-on effect on the cash back. So when a company in the SME scheme, uh, well, technically both schemes can get the uh, cash back for losses, but it tends to be the SME scheme that use it. When a company has an unrelieved trading loss, instead of carrying it forward, it can swap it for cash back. And that rate is currently 14.5% and is going to be reduced to 10%. This is certainly not the last of R&D reform. It's an ongoing process. And some positive reforms, such as expanding qualifying expenditure to include data and cloud costs, for example, um, are being implemented or put together in the spring finance bill. So not in the autumn, but they will actually be included in the spring finance bill. So the other reforms that have been proposed like that and refocusing support towards innovation in the UK uh, those uh, are going to be uh, included in next year's, as I said, spring finance bill. On the technical side of things, there's a nice twiddly bit. If you deal with non-UK domiciles, this is going to be of relevance to you. Normally, when clients do share for share exchanges, reorganisations, there is what we call subject to bona fide clearance, a no CGT event. In other words, the uh, new shares that you've acquired take the place of the old shares. Now, what it appears has been happening is that UK company shares have been swapped for non-UK company shares by non-UK resident domiciles. Now, what that means, of course, is that it could lead to tax being avoided. And the reason tax can be avoided is because uh, non-UK resident domiciles, of course, can be on the remittance basis rather than on the arising basis. So what that means is if they now own overseas company shares and there are dividends paid on those shares, if they don't remit them to the UK, then they're not taxable. If they sell those non-UK shares, then they are not subject, generally speaking, to UK capital gains tax. So this, this proposal is going to change all that. Effectively, for non-UK res resident domiciles, swapping UK shares for non-UK shares, the non-UK shares will in fact be treated as though they were deemed UK company shares. And that means, therefore, that dividends and gains will remain fully taxable. Now, why tell you about this in detail now? Because actually it applies immediately. The date in the draft legislation that was issued um, on the 17th of November states that it is to have immediate effect. 
So I thought you would want to know about that particular aspect in more detail now. Moving to land taxes, in the mini budget for stamp duty land tax, which of course applies to uh, England and Northern Ireland, there was a reduction in the first band, i.e. increasing the threshold from 125,000 to 250,000 at 0%. There was also an increase in the first time bias relief. It's now been decided that these uh, changes are temporary, but they will stay in force until the 31st of March 25. We have yet to see whether there will be any changes as a result of that decision to the Welsh land transaction tax or in their budget, whether the Scots decide to make any amendments to land and buildings transaction tax. So on to more large corporate matters um, to finish off with. There have been increases, some quite substantial increases in the corporation tax that larger corporates and international corporates may be paying. First of all, the so-called windfall tax or energy levy, as it's more formally known, on the profits of oil and gas firms. This was strongly rumoured that there would be an increase, but it is in fact a staggering 10% increase from 25 to 35%, and the uh, tax is being extended until March 28. For those for whom diverted profit tax applies, that is also increased to 31%. And yes, there is going to be an additional bank corporation tax surcharge, not as high as some of the pundits speculated, but an additional 3%. There are other matters which affect companies involved in mainly international business transfer pricing, prescribed and standard documentation is to be implemented from April 23. And I also think that if you've got clients that normally do ATED calculations, that's the annual tax on enveloped dwellings, that you should take a look at the fact that there is a 10.1% hike in the charges due next 1st of April 23. Unfortunately, that will be combined with the fact that not only are the charges higher, but the base upon which you will be doing those ATED calculations is likely in many instances to rise. For those who are not aware of ATED, let me um, introduce you because you might find that some clients will be affected by this for the first time. ATED means annual tax enveloped dwellings charge, and it applies to corporates, including partnerships with corporate partners, where they have residential property and each item is worth more than half a million pounds. There are lots of exclusions and exemptions, or rather exclusions and reliefs, whereby the charge doesn't apply. But where the charge does apply, then it is due on the 1st of April each year. The charges 
go up each year significantly this year because of inflation. But also every five years, you have to revalue your residential property to make a decision about which residential property is affected. And on the 1st of April 23, you will have to use the valuations as at 1st of April 22. In other words, 1st of April 22 is a revaluation date for the purposes of the charge on the 1st of April 23. So that's worth mentioning. And finally, last but not least, um, you, many of you are rounded business advisors. So you will also not only give support to your clients on tax matters, audit, management, but also in terms of that rounded business approach, business rates information. So there's quite a lot of business rate support information that came out during the autumn statement and, in fact, a fact sheet. So please do have a look at that uh, in order to update your clients as to how it may affect them. Thank you for listening. I hope it's been useful. We will, of course, further follow this up with uh, additional podcasts and blogs in the weeks to come. For those of you who want to keep your clients informed and haven't yet ordered our autumn statement summaries, you can, of course, uh, order those via the Mercia website. Thank you.